Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Music for a Book podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Britt. And I'm Hannah. And every two weeks, we read and review a book, assign a song to that book, draw the parallels between the two, and have some fun along the way. So welcome back to our 10th episode. I can't believe it's been 10 already. 10 episodes. I know. This week, we read Starling House by Alex E. Harrow. Yeah, so as you... uh... Remember, if you listened to the last episode, it was a book of the month pick, just book club pick. So we immediately added it to our TBR and we're excited to um, read it for the podcast. Yes. So how the episode will work is we will go over a brief synopsis, some trigger warnings just to make sure that everything is good before we move forward. We will reveal our song choices, and then we will head into spoiler territory. We will be talking openly and honestly about the plot, things that happen in the book, main characters. So if you have not read the book or you're interested in reading it, that would be your time to back out. Yes, we are going to have more of a discussion this episode. Mm -hmm. So the way this book kind of um, resonated with us and how we feel about it, we are excited to kind of change up that format a little bit to talk about this book. Dear reader. Some trigger warnings for this book. I didn't think it was particularly graphic. It is categorized as a gothic mystery fantasy. Some people labeled it as horror, but in my opinion, it was not horror. So it has death of a parent, blood, there's a car accident, there's fire. There's just a little bit of death, some alcohol use, as well as some minor undertones and mentions of incest, slavery, racism, just general vibes for like a small town, small southern town. Yes. All right. So for the synopsis, I am going to read it off Storygraph. If you're not using Storygraph, definitely check it out. It's a great app to blog all your books and it gives you cool graphs and different things about your reading habits so step into starling house if you dare no one in eden remembers when starling house was built but everyone agrees that it's best to let the house and its last lonely heir go to rot starling house is uncanny and ugly and full of secrets just like its heir opal knows better than to mess with this haunted house or brooding men but it might be a chance to get her brother out of Eden. It feels dangerously like something she's never had, a home. But Opal isn't the only one interested in this house or the horrors and wonders that lie beneath it. If Opal wants a home, she'll have to fight for it and she'll have to dig up her family's ugly history and let herself dream of a better future. She'll have to go down, down into the underland and claw her way back to the light. Are we? Ready for our song choices? Yeah, are we ready for our song choices? Yeah. I don't even know where to start with this one, Hannah. I really don't. <laughs> I know. We did go off of our Taylor train for this we one. We sure did. So I can reveal mine first. Ooh, I... let's change it up. Let's see. All right. All right. So I chose the song Walls Could Talk by Halsey. Ooh, I don't know if I know that song. It's one of my faves. I'm excited to hear about that. I ended up choosing Way Down We Go by Kelio because I felt like it was, you know, it's the vibe. So, yeah. 
yeah, went a little off script there, but I'm excited to talk about those. I like it. All right. So now we are going to head into our spoiler territory. That was kind of your brief introduction into Starling House. So like Hannah said, it's going to be more of a discussion, probably a little bit more of just like our general likes, dislikes, some book club questions, things like that, that we're kind of going to go through because I'm going to be perfectly honest with you guys. I don't, I don't know how to talk about this book. I really don't. But we're going to try. Yeah. I think, to be honest as well, I think this would have been a do not finish mm-hmm. DNF for me if it wasn't for the podcast. Yep. Yep. There's so many books on my TBR that I'm big on like DNFing a book if I can't get into it. Um, yep. And moving on because I like want to read something that I'm interested in. And I think this would have been on that list if it wasn't for the podcast. I agree. And I think it's also important to note that we are coming off of a heightened book slump because we just read Fourth Wing and Iron Flame back to back. And I think it's been hard to kind of shake out of that. But I will say that I have read another book in between and I'm halfway through an audiobook and I'm seeming to have no trouble with those. So perhaps it was just Starling House. Yeah. I think too, one of the biggest things with this one is I'll admit I judged the book by its cover and I was like, this one looks so cool. Um, Let's do it. And, you know, it just wasn't, didn't fall for me there. And I think expectations were super high. I was excited because like it was marketed as a gothic horror and it didn't feel any horror at all. Like I was not scared remotely. Hannah and I kind of joked because again, we try to not talk too much about the books outside of the podcast, but I was like, I think we're getting lost apothecaried. Like, I think that the cover has fooled us all. So I yes. still hope you guys stick around for the episode because I think we're going to have a really good discussion about what this book was, what it could have been, things that we did truly like, because I don't think this book was a complete wash or waste of time. And I think that there's definitely a right audience for this book. So if you guys want to stick around, listen to us chat about Starling House, welcome in. If not, you can go back and listen to one of our nine other episodes and we'll catch you on the next one. <laughs> yep. If you want to skip this one, just like I wish I could have with this book, feel free. We'll catch you next time. We're going into our holiday season. Yay. So we are excited to have you then. But yeah, stick around. You're going to see a fun little side of me and Britt here talk about Starling House and our interpretation. Yep. And this is how you guys know, though. This is how everyone should know that we will always be honest about how we feel about books on this podcast and i think that we have been very fortunate with our choices for this season and there are going to be books that we just didn't vibe with and so let's chat about it yes and there's probably going to be books and i mean you've seen in our ratings even from last episode right that me and Britt rate very differently too Mm -hmm. so just know that we are honest with you it's surprising that we both feel the same way about this one yeah um, but our choices are starting to kind of mold a little bit into the similarities. Totally. All right. Where do we begin? So we can set the scene. Starling House takes place in this little, small little town in Kentucky um, called Eden. Some notable things about Eden. There's like a, a power plant there. Our main character lives in the motel, which is called the Garden of Eden. There's a tractor supply store there. 
and most notably that well notably for the book but not really notable for the citizens of eden because they try to ignore it is starling house mm. is this like mr mysterious house that sits behind these like giant gates you know people tell different stories about what actually happened there who the owners are um who currently lives there it's just kind of this mystery in this town that a lot of people choose to ignore yeah and the book takes us through a journey through mostly opal's perspective in first person and we see her relationship with her brother jasper because they do not have their parents so instead she is the one who is responsible for jasper who is 16 years old and she may or may not have forged some documents to ensure that she would retain custody of jasper and it just shows her struggling a lot at these kind of what she refers to as bad or dead-end kind of jobs where she's just there to make to make money to take care of her brother and that's really it so it goes through and it talks about how opal was really obsessed with this author named e starling and her work called the underland so she just really like her mom would joke that she was going to have nightmares her whole life about this book because of how often she would read it and how often she would tell stories to jasper and that's kind of what happened she starts having these really vivid horrific dreams about starling house and about the underland and about just places that she should know nothing about because she's never been to but yet she sees them in her dreams mm -hmm. opal does walk home and passes the starling house where she is drawn in by some you know force like she's been having these dreams these nightmares but she's very intrigued um she holds onto the gate tight enough that she starts to bleed and the current warden appears. He basically just tells her to run. She's describing, this is the, so the curtain warden or the heir to the Starling house is someone that you would think would look like wealthy and put together because of the, the stature and the state of the house. But she describes him as an underfed crow wearing a button up that doesn't quite fit with his shoulders hunched against the seams. His face is all hard angles and solid bones, split by a beak of a nose, and his hair is a tattered wing, an inch shy of becoming a mullet, and his eyes are clawing into mine. Attractive. Beautiful man, if you will. Beautiful. I, like, she says that his skin is bloodless. Yeah, so just to note, too, like we told you guys, this is a spoiler zone. Yeah. So all of this fair game. But spoiler, Arthur and Opal have like an underlying romance. I, Hannah, I don't, if there was anything out of left field in this book, it was the romance. I yes. was so confused how we went from his bloodless, stretched skin over his bleak bones on his face and his lips are peeled away from his teeth in an animal snarl and his eyes are starless black like are the starless black of caves yeah i just think that was 
unnecessary. Like, the romance didn't need to happen. Like, it did nothing to further the plot to me. No. And, like, so his name is Arthur. And moral of the story is he offers her a job. And she starts working to clean Starling House. And that's how we get inside of Starling House. So that's kind of like the gist is her trying to discover this like lifelong pull and story that she got from Starling House through the Underland, through East Starling herself. Um, and she just always had like a like a gravitational pull to this house while also learning how to take care of her brother, being ugly, frail and weak and poor. Yep. And we find out too, so when she starts working there, like, it's kind of random that Arthur would offer her a job. Yeah. Like, they don't have a housekeeper. There's this huge house. Like, why would he hire her with really no true housekeeping, like, resume? Mm. Um, she's helped clean house or rooms at the motel, but never, like, a full house. But this book does go from, like, Opal's first person point of view to Arthur's like third person mm. and we find out that Arthur feels guilty and almost like responsible um, for something in regards to Opal and that says like he can't like do enough to repay her kind of make up for that whatever happened that's like the driving plot of the book I'm just going to go on to two things that I feel like really made this reading experience very difficult for me because I just need to get them off my chest to start this here so the first is that the author interjects with footnotes in the book and these footnotes are just explanations that further like they just further explain a line or a little piece of history or something like this but like they're written they're written as if this was a story that was transcribed down and then someone else was going through and adding the footnotes for more context later. Mm -hmm. Which I think, based on the epilogue, is how it was supposed to feel. However, we get footnotes up until page 112, sporadically throughout. We get one final footnote on page, like, 163. And then from 166 to the end. Yeah. There's not a single other footnote that takes place. And it really confuses me that we're going to use this device for literally half the book and then just chuck it out the window midway through yeah because there wasn't like you know in some books there'll be part one part two part yeah. three okay there was part you know in a separate part but to me there was nothing that really kind of separated when the footnote stopped yeah to like the rest of the story it made no sense the way that they're written like it says, like, the one on page 80 is, The Gravely Sanatorium was established in 1928 by Donald Gravely Sr. And I don't know. I just feel like it could have been fit into the context of the book as is. Like, we could have just had the historical stuff in there. Yeah. I feel like for this book, the concept is great. Yeah. Like, the execution just wasn't there. I agree. Like, there was a a lot of ideas that could have been like done in this book and a next book you know mm -hmm. um, but the footnotes the kind of literary references mm -hmm. just felt very piled up and there's like probably five drawings throughout the book too um for a 300 page book i 
would think if the drawings were more pertinent to the story, there would have been more of them. Yep. Like, it just felt kind of random. And I, don't know, I was looking for more meaning in those drawings, basically. And I guess because Arthur draws or whatever, but it just felt very much like, you know, we just run hidden pictures with Teddy drawing for yeah. you know, drawing pictures to kind of push the plot along. Mm -hmm. So these didn't feel like they really fit or didn't fit. Like I would rather, while reading a book, imagine those pictures or those scenes. I agree. And there was one other thing with the writing. So when reading this book, it's 300 pages. And I felt like this was an over 500 page book. Like it slugged on it felt like it never was going to end like ever and i think part of that is the language in here while beautiful while amazing descriptions is so over the top flowery like the description sometimes draw out dialogue that does not need to be drawn out everything is this person spoke as if it were this they spoke like it was this. So all of these similes and I just, it's too much. The example that I have of like this flowerly, flowery language that really like, I don't know, just kind of threw me off was, I think if it didn't happen all the time, it would be different. Uh, this one specifically, it says, Opal, Bane says my name gently as if she's concerned about me, as if she didn't engineer this entire sick experience. And then slowly down there, she said, yeah, Jewel, my voice sounds ordinary, almost careless. And then there's no need to be alarmed. We're a research group. Her tone is soothing. And then on the next page, it also says, where is it? It's like this one particular like way she says things. Oh, she says like Stonewood has very high standards of behavior after all. Her voice is delicate, almost apologetic, as if she dislikes this game she's playing, but is obliged to win anyway. And it was these as if like. Her voice was like that said this as if almost like we as the reader couldn't decipher what the tone was supposed to be when they were talking so it had to be told to us like beat over our head that she's saying it with concern because this could have just easily said she says lightly she said with concern but she was she said with concern comma as if she was concerned like i don't know that was just something that for me and usually I can really look past things. Like, I will just take vibes for a book. I'll look past some of the writing. We'll call it a day. But this in particular was just a little rough. Yeah, I feel like, kind of like what I said too. I feel like she was telling us how to think. Yes. Instead of kind of showing us in, you know, building this world, building these characters. Mm -hmm. It felt very much, this is how it should be. Yeah. If you like that writing style, great. Yeah. This is a book for you. There's millions of books out there. Mm -hmm. That's why I love reading because there is something for everyone. But totally. You get to listen to this podcast, which is mine and Brit's review <laughs> though today. So. Lucky you. So to kind of jump into characters and the plot a little bit. So we mentioned that Opal has a brother, Jasper. Jasper is in high school and Opal you know, is this headstrong sister that, you know, her decisions she feels are there just to help her brother. So everything she's doing is to him, for him, 
Um, she's secretly trying to enroll him in this private college. They live off ramen. It's just a interesting dynamic. Like, I didn't feel like they were super close, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's how it was supposed to be portrayed. He was at his friend's house a lot, you know, on his computer, on his phone. Just it didn't feel like they had that close dynamic. Like I think the author wanted us to believe. Uh, I didn't feel like it was shown. Mm. I felt like it was said, but not really shown. I agree. There's some other characters, too, that are surrounding Opal's life. She has Bev, who owns a motel. Opal thinks that there's, like, some, like, agreement that her mom and Bev made back in the day so that they can still live at the motel. Um, There's Charlotte that's doing research on the town that's always at the motel. And those are kind of the characters that are surrounding Opal's life. Yeah. Yeah, and there is the pain point kind of of Opal starting to work at Starling House is when she does get approached by this consultant who is trying to dig up more information on the Starling House who's trying to kind of weasel their way in and find out what things are not actually natural or what sort of phenomena might be happening there and they're very persistent in how they approach her, how they talk about the house. I mean Opal holds pretty firm but there are times where she's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take some pictures. I'm just gonna take some pictures of things. And again, it, the author tells us probably at least once a chapter or once every other chapter how poor Opal is and how desperate for like money and a better life and how she just wants her brother to escape from Eden constantly yeah so yeah she sends these pictures here and there and you know trying to keep up her desperate you know for money persona that people kind of expect from Mm her um but really deep down she wants to find out like more about the starling house Mm -hmm. like she grew up reading the book by east starling and you know, just gets the sense that there's something more going on here that she wants to know. Yeah. And the parts of the Starling house that I thought were like just so interesting is how it was kind of personified, how the house kind of came to life, how it was meant to be creepy. It was meant to have this gothic feel to it. But I think that we didn't even get a fraction of what would have been required for this to feel like a true immersive haunted house experience yeah i feel like we could have had so much more of the house Mm -hmm. had those little qualities in it but i just feel like opal wasn't there half the time yeah and like i the plot was basically like her being in the house arthur telling her to get out of the house her running away from the house her fighting for her life to get her brother a better life her going back to the house arthur telling her to leave the house and it was just this like spiral of, of like the book was only 300 pages and i think it could have achieved the same results in 200 yeah and so one of the descriptions too says it's like a gothic fairy tale so there is a lot of like fairy tale mm-hmm. References, literary references. One of the main ones to me, especially at the beginning, was like Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. 
where, you know, she describes Arthur as this, you know, hideous creature, but then she ends up, you know, falling in love with him. Um, which, you know, I'm all for a Beauty and the Beast retelling, but it just didn't, it didn't build where it should have. Yeah. With that. Then also kind of like Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. I felt like the beast she describes around like Starling House or that is kind of in her nightmares. Yeah. Kind of like led her to the house, um, just kind of down the, you know, down into Wonderland or Underland. Yeah. Can we briefly talk about this romance though? I, or I don't even want to call it a romance. So there's this part where she doesn't have a coat because she's poor and can't afford a coat. And <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> In the car, like, he gives her a coat. He gives her the car to borrow. Yeah, he like like these are nice little gestures, but it just like there. If you want to talk about no tension, zero to a hundred, there was not an ounce of romantic tension, except in maybe like the sentence describing this like fleeting moment that they may have had together, only for them to end up at some point toward the end in Underland curved around a sword together on the ground like they were almost kissing and like saving each other or something because to me when i was reading it and he was like giving her the coat the car it felt more like a familiar like a family obligation yeah like he felt responsible for her not more of a romantic gesture yeah and maybe that's just how i read it and interpreted it but it threw me off when they started kissing. Yeah, I was like, and the way that they're kissing is described, it, like at some point, I think they said that they were kissing so intensely that there was like blood drawn. And I just, I have some questions. I do have some questions, <laughs> but I don't know. And it kind of unfolds into, like Hannah was saying in this fairy tale way, but even like Hades and Persephone are mentioned and like, the whole idea was that this this house was built on like the fault line gateway to hell more or less like and the underland is a a hellscape essentially but it's a personification of your own personal hellscape so think of it as your own personal branded level of hell where you are just tormented every day by things that you would rather die than be tormented by and I am going to be completely honest. I did not understand what was happening for like 75 pages. I was thoroughly confused. I still don't fully understand the Underland, how to get there or how it takes its people. That could be just me, but I consider myself a pretty astute reader and I was confused. Yeah, it just... I feel like from the start of the book, like I did read some reviews and people said it was predictable and I could see that in a way. But to me, I just wanted so much more from this house. Yeah. Like if it is on the fault line, like give it to me in like the first like 50 pages. Yeah. Well, I just felt like the buildup or this, you know, the paranormal horror aspect or whatever that people were talking about just happened so late in the mm-hmm. book. Like it had to be in the last like 25% of the book. Yeah. Or like if you're going to, this as this like, a gothic you know horror house like this haunted house i just wanted the house to have so much 
or of a planet like instead of just like you know nodding hi to opal when she was there or, you know reacting to different things like i just i wanted more from the house yeah so speaking of that too like i wanted more from the house there was the two perspectives right opal and arthur's and arthur's was third person but i wish it was almost from the house mm -hmm. instead of focusing on arthur so kind of talking about how the house was feeling the house was a character it very had these like qualities in there that i think it would have been that would have cool been so cool to hear from the house or you know even if it was like east darling from the house yeah right? like kind of what that perspective was i think would give a different dynamic than arthur and opal just didn't that didn't flow for me i agree and also too like even Arthur had mentioned, like, when... So, Opal found a letter, I believe in the jacket pocket, if I'm remembering correctly. And later, when talking to Arthur and kind of confronting the situation, he was like, I never, like, revealed those letters. But the house must have put its hand in. Like, the house must have done it for me. The house must have changed this. So, I don't know. I feel like we had this really incredible chance at, like, a super, like omnipresent like really brooding very very scary house and instead we got a story about an fmc that i like could not stand and it wasn't for the fact that like where she came from or anything like that it was just like it, it felt like so cliche, like this whole book to me read like a young adult fairy tale, like a retelling of like six fairy tales smashed together from my the YA perspective. Yeah, I think I would have liked Opal too if the author didn't like pound into mm -hmm. us that she was poor, unattractive. Like just there were so many different descriptors of like her features that just made us think that she is ugly. Yeah. I don't know. They're still like we find out Opal has a lineage to this house, which is why she's so strongly drawn to it. And there's the these things called the beasts that escape. And Arthur says once they get past the walls, once he fails to stop them, they run until they can find someone else to hurt, but only starlings can see them. But anyone else can suffer at the hands of them. And I, I don't know. I just, like, they said that the town was cursed. And, like, we find out that it's from the Underland and these beasts escaping. But I just don't. I just didn't buy it. Like, I had so much hope for a creepy, gothic house. Like, I think what bothers me, too, even the way that the pages are set up are beautiful. They have, like filigree along the sides there's different fonts beautiful indents aside from the illustrations just like the chapter headers the chapter ends i don't know i just everything about this book looked beautiful and then i i don't know how else to say it except i was bored out of my goddamn mind i was so bored yeah. i could not wait for it to be over and i was just like again i'm not a slow reader i'm not a speed reader but i can get through like this book should have taken me a day to yes. read and it took me a few yeah yes like i read fourth wing the physical copy in like three nights 
not even a day's worth of reading, but like three consecutive nights worth of reading. And that was 500 pages. Yeah. You know, as you guys know, I'm a fantasy reader and I love my fantasy romance. And in Akatar, there is a house, the House of Wind. And the house is this like living house. And I just feel like that was such a small part of that book. But the house you could have, you understood that it was alive and responding to the people that were in it. Where this book was supposed to be all about the house. And I feel like I didn't get any of that. Yeah. And then this other series, like this minuscule little house has so much more, you know, personality Mm -hmm. that I just, when it doesn't, that doesn't drive the plot really much. And this is Stu. I thought it was interesting too. Totally. And I'll have it on record that I did just buy the Akatar book set. And I also just downloaded the first book in Throne of Glass. And per Hannah's recommendation, I will be starting with Throne of Glass. Yeah. So, so, you know, in the future, maybe on our Patreon, you can get some of our reviews on those books. We're not going to turn this into a total fantasy loving podcast, mm-hmm. even though if I had my way, maybe we would. <laughs> but uh, definitely some bonus content for you guys on those books because they're fun to talk yes. about. But I also like our thrillers and everything that we read here. I know. I love like changing it up too. But yeah, we definitely will have some bonus content coming your way that we're excited about. So more to come on that. Yes. Subscribe to our newsletter. That'll be coming out at the end of the season. Yes. We do have a newsletter coming. We have, we've been planning things. We just had to get our feet wet and like, figure things out and let Hannah move across the country and you know get her life together (laughs) yes you know this kind of goes on back and forth Elizabeth Bain you know is trying to get more information about the house and things kind of escalate and the motel actually ends up burning down Mm -hmm. Opal sees smoke from her walk home and is trying to figure out where this is coming from, hears sirens, and then realizes it's a motel. So she runs. And in the meantime, she's trying to call Jasper, like calls him nine, ten times. He doesn't answer. So she's freaking out. When she gets to the motel, she, you know, runs in, tries to find him, sees that their room is the one that is basically up in flames. The cop arrests her because who else would have burned the place down than this, you know, low life orphaned girl mm-hmm. takes her to the playstation they question her and this is i feel like we're like a lot of things unfold and you know we get confirmation that by the footnote that uh gravely like the family that owns the power plant opal is part of that family mm-hmm. you know the eldest gravely that's living comes in and you know basically says you're not you have no right to the family name like the will's burnt up like your mother didn't even know what was coming and all that and arthur shows up to the playstation which i think is totally random yeah. a little strange <laughs> never comes out of that nope there's also just to get back to the romance because i can't let it go there's like the, a very weird sex scene that happens in the middle of this book <laughs> And, like, it's not graphic, but, like, I I don't know. I just think that I can't get over the way that, like, everything's been described. Like, also, the way that it flips. So, the perspectives shift between Arthur and Opal. We talked about that. 
I don't know if we mentioned this, but they don't shift chapter to chapter. They shift mid-chapter. Like, out of nowhere, it goes from... He opens the door wide and pulls her inside. Paragraph split. I shouldn't have come here, but I did. Like, it doesn't... I don't know. After, you know, she goes to police off. Police apartment they like let her go she finally gets a hold of jasper and they have this conversation which kind of annoyed me it kind of annoyed me um and this is what kind of pushed like the dynamic apart for me between the two of them is because opal's been working so hard to pay for jasper to go to this private high school Mm -hmm. and arthur actually like secretly pays for the whole thing but Opal tells him and he's like, well, that's not what I want. Like, I I wanted to surprise you. I've been working so hard, getting A's, getting scholarships, and like, I can go to college early. Like, I'm, I'm that qualified. And, you know, they both, I just feel like they didn't talk to each other. No. At all. I'm like, those are some big decisions from both sides. Like, I understand her wanting to send him to a private high school, but if that's not what he wanted, then what? Why is she working so hard towards that? And also, like, he... I don't know. I just think from how it was described for, like, how desolate their life was in this motel and how she was scraping by and fighting for her life, the idea that he would have this, like, inexplicable drive academically to succeed beyond all measure and not share it with his one person in his life felt so out of place to me like Mm -hmm. she acknowledged that he is an intelligent person and she acknowledged that like i I don't know but the fact that he was like yeah i i talked with my advisors and i'm i got all my credits taken care of and you don't have to worry about me and then i'll be able to take care of you and i'm just like in in what worlds would that have happened when that's supposed to be like the closest person in your life really the only person you have in your life Mm -hmm. Exactly. And her friends didn't tell her either. Yeah. And this is the last we see of Jasper. He gets on a Greyhound bus and is off. Bye, Jasper. See you later. I guess this is the Jasper that joins the Confederate Army and um, turns into a vampire in Twilight. Oh, what a crossover. What a crossover. (laughs) (laughs) And then so Opal goes back to the Starling house after saying goodbye to Jasper. Mm -hmm. And this is where all hell breaks loose. Yep. Get it? Because they're on the fault line of hell. <laughs> and I guess for me, like, I didn't understand exactly what was happening. No. Or I didn't understand how it was set up to go down into the underland. No. And how you had to have the key, hold the sword. There's a river that you, like, drink from. Yeah. But through it all, I don't know. Maybe if this is made into a movie, it'll make a lot more sense and I'll love it. Yeah. Like, they executed and show it that way. Come on, Reese, do your thing. Redeem this and make it into a movie. Please. It could be such a cool... Oh, my God. Please have Mike Flanagan direct it. Please. Ooh, yeah. Please. Give me Hill House vibes. Give me Haunting of Bly Manor. Give me those vibes. Give me Midnight Mass vibes. Yes. That done. Let's yep. do it. So this is where she gets to talk to... East Starling herself. So Eleanor just says, hey, what's up? Hello. Hi. It's nice to see you. And then in a different font, Eleanor's like, no one has listened to my story. No one cared about it before. 
they won't care about it now. And Opal's like, but I care, Eleanor. It's me. And so we get, what is this, like five, six pages of Eleanor's story about how this all came to be and how her uncles were bad men and her father was the worst of them and her father drowned and the town suspected her. She said that he deserved it, but it wasn't actually her. And then she was married off to one of her uncles so they could be in line for the wealth that came with Starling House. But then they changed her name several times to try and confuse the people about the land and whose it was. And no one came to save her. No one was like, oh, this is a child marriage with your own niece. We probably shouldn't do that. Oh, no, please stop. No one did that. She went, like, into the Underland, which was, like, her own creation. So the she said that the house was more than a home. It was a labyrinth. Went the way to the Underland and its heart and high stone walls all around. So, like, she watched people just, like, die at the hands of this hellhole. And the, the plant that the Gravelys owned kind of, like, added fuel to this I think is that what happened I don't know but basically she like she studied folklore she said she studied fables she studied Cherokee information she made charms and wards and she forged keys with a sword like she didn't know where they come from she realized that she made them herself they took the people, again, if the beasts escaped, they would just run until they could hurt someone. It doesn't matter who could or couldn't see them. So all of these, like, murders and deaths and freak accidents that had happened over the years had taken place because of these beasts that had been unleashed from the Underland at the bottom of Starling House. If this sounds stupid, imagine reading it. I'm so sorry. Like... I don't want to be overly critical, but I just, as I'm even just rereading these parts to try and retell it, I'm confused as to how we got from point A to point B and why it matters. I honestly, I wish Eleanor was more of like an evil witch. Yes. Like, I, like, I wish she wasn't as justified as she Correct. was. Correct. You know, like, I wish it wasn't some like big revenge thing. Like, I wish she was like, yeah. Like, hell corrupted me yeah like it corrupted me and now i'm this evil witch that lives in this house that's like attacking people because i think that's what turned it off of horror for me and i was like yeah i'd be pissed too if my uncle married me and made it seem like yeah it was like a cover-up and nobody everybody turned a blind eye like i mean that too yeah that's justified and like i yeah i don't know it reminds me of when we were talking about hidden pictures and when we realized that it was anya was Teddy's mom rather than being like an actual like haunted scary ghost like it immediately shifted the tone of the book and like the tone of the book was already suffering for me so this just really sent it over the edge to have this like multiple page monologue from Eleanor who we didn't know about until page 270 something like we knew about her in the context of the lore that she wrote her writing and her ties to Starling House but we weren't introduced yeah. to her physically. 
until the last 20, 25 pages of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they basically, um, they fight through hell, blah, 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 yada, yada. And they come out and live happily ever after. Woo! And the epilogue is like, the epilogue really, like, so epilogues can make it or break it for me. And this epilogue, I was like, get me out of here. Like, the epilogue starts with, this is the story of Starling House. There are lots of stories about that house, of course. You've heard most of them. The one about the mad widow and her poor husband. The one about the miners who broke into hell and the monsters at the center of a maze. You've heard the one about the three bad men and the little girl who gave them their comeuppance, although nobody tells that one. Not yet. They will. I swear they will. I've broken a lot of promises, but not this one. I don't... I don't know. And, like, apparently everything, like, shut down. Like, the whole city, like, flooded. They had FEMA come in. They were doing, like, radiation testing, nuclear testing. I don't know whatever it was they did. Um... But basically, they got out of the, the dark underworld. I think Opal is the new underlord or something like that. I don't care. And yeah, that's what happened in Starling House. Yep. <laughs> that is that. All right. <laughs> let's do some book club questions. Let's see. Let's see. We're going to go through some book club discussion questions that we found by Wrote a Book. All right. Let's do, since we talked about like Jasper and Opal's relationship. Mm-hmm. The theme of family is central to the novel, particularly Opal's relationship with her brother Jasper. How does their bond influence their decisions and actions and impact the character's choices? Just to kind of facilitate a little bit more discussion, see if we can, you know, get a little bit more thought and maybe reasons why the author made some choices the way they yeah. did. I think their bond influences their decisions and actions quite a bit. Yeah. But not in the way that the author perceived it to be to me at least you know i think opal's trying to protect her brother so much and i think that just like clouds her judgment a yeah. lot in what she does i agree i think that she uses the driving force of protection to justify her like thievery and like these other mm -hmm. poor decisions that she's making when in reality it seems like she does actually have people in her life who like care about her and can help propel her forward and get her to a good place in life and her brother's still underage, and so she says that she's of age now, and so I imagine she's like, I don't know if it explicitly says that I could be wrong, but I, I had imagined her at like 19, somewhere around there, 18, 19, I don't know. But I just think that there were people in this book that showed promise of being able to like guide her and direct her and help her through things, and I... Feel like it was completely overshadowed by her just being like i must do this for my brother yeah i just felt like the character was too headstrong yeah for her own good and i don't know i wish taking care of her brother she showed a little bit more like empathy and love mm -hmm. with that because i think jasper would have been more open with her if she was yeah. like i felt like he hid a lot of things from her i mean he knew about like their mom's last name and heritage before she did yeah. and kind of kept that a secret. So just to me, he was also protecting her. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. For that to happen. And I, I would understand that. I kind of understand Jasper's actions more than I do Opal's. And I think that Jasper just, I feel like Opal subconsciously 
made him feel like a burden on her. And yeah. Jasper was doing everything in his power to be able to like relieve her of that burden of himself. All right. So next question. Dreams and nightmares are reoccurring motifs in the story. How do dreams shape the characters' perceptions of reality? How does the theme of dreams tie into the overall narrative? I mean, I think that the dreams that she's having, or the nightmares you could call them, about Starling House are literally the only reason why she's even coming close to the building. I think that the themes and the motifs in there are kind of like, I don't know, I feel like I'm back in AP English when I'm trying to find the symbolism in something that just isn't there. I right. <laughs> I just her perception of reality is literally blurred into lines with her dreams, but her dreams then do become reality because she's at the fault line of fucking hell in this house. Yeah, I think I would have like that developed more too, is because she had these dreams, these nightmares, like you said. That's the reason why she went to start. Yes. She been pulled there otherwise, she would have walked right by and said, Peace out. But the house was kind of feeding those nightmares of dreams to get her in yeah. and we saw like stuff come to fruition from that mm -hmm. but i feel like it could have been developed and highlighted more um because that's a pretty powerful thing for a house to do right yep. is to um kind of draw people in and buy their nightmares and kind of infiltrate that you know quote-unquote safe space for somebody yeah some of these other questions like it says analyze the growth and development of opal and arthur's characters like <laughs> i don't think there was any no like, i think that this this book lacked so much depth in my opinion for such a compelling story like a compelling thought and idea i i just i feel like the depth of what could have been was lost on the overt the obvious the fluffy language and could have been developed in these like really incredible personifications of things happening through the inanimate objects, through the house, through the beasts, through these other things that are coming through. And I think that the things that took action and made the story even remotely atmospheric were just completely overshadowed by these like real life grounding problems that were just beat into us chapter after chapter. Yeah. I feel like there was no real character development no. for Opal. She just kind of stayed like on a plateau the whole time for me mm -hmm. and then came out in the, you know, these last chapters as being like Persephone, right? And I'm just like, what? Yeah. I just feel like there was no build up there. I feel like there could have been so much more if there was going to be a romance between Arthur and Opal, just, you know, having a little bit more romantic gestures instead of feeling like it was like protective or guilt gestures. Yeah. That he felt like obligated to her yeah i would have just loved her to describe him as anything other than like hollow blood drains yes a, like a crow his beak pulled tightly over his face like i just at no point did i feel a shift in how she saw arthur or how they like appeared to each other and I don't know if the author was like, at the end of the day, these two people that I described as disgusting and ugly now love each other being disgusting and ugly together. Congratulations. And two, it doesn't have to be even like physical appearance descriptors, no. right? Like talk more about their character and different yeah, like thing qualities that way that I just felt like was not developed. No, and like all I feel like I know about Opal is she says she loves her brother she's poor and she's ugly like that's literally it 
Like, what else? Does she have a passion for anything else? She has a passion for finding out what her dreams mean and wielding a weapon against these beasts. And again, the beasts, like, there, I was not, at no point did I experience a lick of fear during this book. Not, like, no. I wanted to be so creeped out by the things that were happening in this book. I got more scared reading The Housemaid than I did yes. this. I wanted to be creeped out by, like, a creek in my house or something. Yeah. You know, and, like, not want to finish this book or, like, you know, we're moving into a new place. Like, what if this new place is on a fault line of hell, like, right? But, there was nothing. Okay, cool. So I know how to go through it then. All right. Amazing. Like, it's not scary. I don't know. And I know, I know that there are people that are going to love this book. And I know that they're going to get to the end of the podcast and be like, you just didn't understand. And I'll be like, you're correct. I truly did not understand. Yeah. That's how, like, with this book, like, I see the potential. Yes. I see. I've heard so many great things about this um, author. And a couple of reviews I read, too, were, uh, were like, is this the same author that wrote this other book? So yeah. I'm definitely open to giving this author another chance because I did see the potential, the you know the different ideas and everything were there just it didn't hold my attention at all yeah which is fine i'm not i'm not gonna be you know pleased by everything yep we had another book that um for my book club earlier this year that divided book club and i was on the side of i didn't like it and some other girls absolutely loved it yeah so you know to each their own just like you know i don't like chocolate cake but you know, I also some people do. don't like chocolate cake. All right. You know what? This book is this is our chocolate, chocolate cake. cake category. Yeah. Yes. I like brownies. <laughs> I don't like chocolate cake. Yeah, I do too. But a chocolate cupcake? No. Because no. it doesn't taste like chocolate. No. It's fake. Like, just give me a vanilla cupcake. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, a new rating system here at Music for a Book, po- book Podcast. Uh, this is falling into chocolate cake. Yes. All right. So, I, do you have any final thoughts that you want to throw out there? I feel like I've said, I think I've said enough. And I think everyone's going to be like, Brittany, we get it. You hate this book. Stop dropping. Yes. <laughs> if you've made it this far in the podcast, I appreciate Thank you. Thank you so much. As we've said before, we do like to just gossip about books. So this is us, you know, gossiping about the Starling House. Yeah. For context. So you might remember that we had to split the only one left into two parts because of how much we talked about it. We had about eight hours of audio in total about that book, which was honestly stupid. We did not need to do that. That was too much, but we we really were into it, right? We are currently an hour and nine minutes into recording and we are done <laughs> talking about the book. Yes. Yes. And we're done. And you know, people also didn't like the only one left yeah. too, and they probably would have had the same reaction we were having to this book. Yeah. But um, you know, we just figured since we didn't really like it, we're not going to put you guys through hours and hours of us talking about a book dragging on. And read it yourself if you want and make your own decision. Um, we'd love to see you know comments about it in our Discord and on Instagram. If there's like a part that you really want us to reread mm-hmm. or just a different perspective on things we'd love to hear totally. it and i think so someone who might like this book in my opinion is someone who enjoys more of like a historical fiction like if you don't read a lot of thrillers a lot of fantasy a lot of those like really like fast-paced 
elevated books with a lot of action and you're really into like the historical background of things these kind of like depth to the backstory of a house but not like the actual like haunting of the house itself you might genuinely yeah. enjoy something like this but i am just learning mm -hmm. that that style is not for me and that's okay i will stick to my thrillers i'm gonna dip my toe into fantasy i started picking up romance again because sometimes you just really need to read a smutty shitty hockey romance after you get your heart ripped out by rebecca yaros Yep, to cleanse your palate. But that's what I love about reading, yeah. right? There's so many different books out there. And my favorite book may definitely not be somebody else's favorite totally. book. But like we talk about here a lot on the podcast, it's about vibes. Mm -hmm. And this vibe just wasn't here for us, but doesn't mean it's not there for you. Totally. So definitely pick it up at your library so you don't spend the money on it mm -hmm. if you don't like it. Just a thought. Sorry. All right, well, should we talk about our songs now? Let's talk about our songs. All right. Well, since I reveal first, I'll talk about mine Sounds first. good. So this is a Halsey song that I love. It's a very short song, but so some of the lyrics that kind of stood out for me, like the first line has just been about three days and I'm coming back. So it made me think of like Opal, you know, she went to the house and kind of left for a while and She's like, all right, I'm coming back. Like, she's had these nightmares and just kind of going through that with her. And a few lines later, it's like, and you make me a maniac. So she just kind of is like, you know, kind of those thoughts are driving her crazy. These nightmares and she has to go back to this house. Yeah. The, you know, this song is called Walls Could Talk. So it's, there's a line in the chorus that's like, and I'm thinking, damn, if these walls could talk. And I just feel like that's like Opal in the house, right? She's just like, there's so much in this house. Like what, if these walls could talk right now, what would they say? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of early on and with that. And there's a line in it too that's like, told my new my new roommate not to let you in, but you're so damn good with a bobby pin. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me think of like, men, they like just kind of up, pick the lock to each other yeah. almost. And like with a star in totally. house, um, made me think of that. It ends basically saying, like, shit is crazy, right? And that's what's saying, like, the walls will... What the walls say is, shit is crazy, right? Yeah. I just think, shit is crazy, right? In this house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my song. Like if it. you haven't listened to it, listen to it. I will. Um, I definitely, like, see it in the movie version almost. It's awesome. Me being a Halsey fan and I work, like, Halsey in every movie I listen to and watch. I ended up choosing Way Down We Go by Kaleo or Kaleo or... I'm not really sure how to pronounce the band name. I'm so sorry. But this is also a very short song with not a lot of lyrics. So this was more about like the feeling and the vibe. This was one that I could also see in a movie version of this. Like the whole thought of like way down me go caught me immediately when I was desperately sifting through songs to try and figure out what I wanted. And for me, it was like falling like way down me go into the underland. And so it starts with, oh, father, mm -hmm. tell me, do we get what we deserve? whoa we get what we deserve so i think that was almost east starling with her don't worry like you'll get what you deserve like the underland will take care of the people and it says you let your feet run wild time has come as we all go down but for the fall do you dare look him right in the eyes and i think part of that is like 
Opal and Arthur, like, are we going to have these moments, even though there was no romantic tension whatsoever, and it felt super out of place and awkward. And yeah, it's just the the main chorus is because they will run you down, down to the dark. Yes, they will run you down, down to you fall. They will run you down, down to you go, so you can't crawl no more. And this song was just like the theme of Underland to me was like they will drag you down they will hunt you down these beasts that come out at night these beasts that crawl out of the underland um they will take you down and way down we go we will go together and you won't be able to crawl anymore you will get what's coming to you there's honestly not many more lyrics than that but if you think you haven't heard the song listen to it i promise that you've heard it it's a very well-known like pop culture song but i think you'll see like the vibe that i was going for so that's my song yeah i think that's a great song i can definitely see that in in the movie version when they're going down to the underland mm-hmm. for sure all right so do we want to talk about book ratings let's do yeah. it um well since you did songs first this time yeah i'll go first oh interesting this is so we'll do a... like a reverse here yeah yeah all right so if you've listened to before, if this is your first episode listening to us, we rate in moons and Saturns. So I will give this book two Saturns. All right. Two. And that's a lot based on potential. Yes. For once. We do actually have the same rating. I will also give this book two moons. And my reason is potential. And I think that like the concept was really cool. And the reason I'm giving it two instead of one, which is honestly what my knee-jerk reaction was because I just really didn't vibe with it that much, was that I don't think that the writing was bad. I don't think that the story was necessarily, like, terrible. I don't think that no one should read it. I just think that I was not the target audience, though I was heavily targeted as the audience. No, I agree with that, too. It was... Like... If we went on solely on my vibes and personal, maybe I would have DNF'd it. One star for sure. But since we do it in Saturns, I'm going to give it two Saturns because, like Britt said, you know, it just, I'm not the target audience. So I don't think it's fair yeah. to um, rate it as low as I necessarily would because it's there. The story's there, just not, yeah, not my cup of totally. tea. Totally. Not my. Not my flavor of cake. All right. So now that we're done with that, thank God. Uh, <laughs> Shortest episode ever. <laughs> Our next book, we actually made a game time decision and changed it before we started recording. So just like in October, we did a spooky series. In December, we're going to do a holiday series. So our two books will be Christmas and or winter themed. So Hannah, do you want to reveal what our next book is going to be? Yes, so this next book is going to be The Christmas Murder Game by Alexandra Benedict. So, you know, it says something about, like, Agatha Christie meets Clue, which, like, really intrigued Mm -hmm. me. So I feel like that's a good vibe for us. Totally. And I think, just so you know, we both acknowledge that, like, we had originally posted, like, our rating system. I think that we need to reintroduce, like, a vibes system because we both know that the two books that we have coming up for December are not going to be literary masterpieces but we are going specifically for vibes so just know that Mm -hmm. going in 
I had never heard of it, so I'm really excited to get my hands on it and start reading it. But yeah. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for our 10th episode. We are so excited to have you here. If you're new here, welcome. Please make sure you are following us on all uh, social media. Join our Discord. Sign up for our newsletter, which will be coming out at the end of the season. Yep. And just stay tuned for more fun things. Yes, we have so much planned. We're so excited. So be sure to rate and review, like Hannah said, follow us on social media platforms, and we will catch you all on our next episode, which will be our 11th, reviewing the Christmas murder game. Yay. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Bye.